Hey, it is uh, really good to be with you guys this morning. If this is your first time here, uh, my name is Garrison. I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas State, and we are so glad that you are here this morning. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, if you would, if, you, if it is your first time here, or if you've been a guest with us uh, for a few weeks now, or a regular attender, and you haven't gotten connected with what God is doing here in our church family, we'd love uh, to get you connected with, with uh, the body at Veritas. And so if you take a moment and fill out the Connect card that is inside of the bulletin you received when you walked in this morning. Uh, that's a good way for us to, to get to know a little bit about you, know how we can get in, in touch with you. And um, it's a good way for us to get you, uh, maybe to get together with you, grab some coffee uh, or whatever. Um, and there's also space for prayer requests on there. We'd love for you to jot a few things that we could be praying for down uh, on that Connect card so that we can know how we can be praying for you this week. Um, now, I have the pleasure of introducing my good friend this morning, uh, Pastor John Pope. Um, I love John Pope. Um, he is an epic beard grower, um, uh, a jock, so if you want to talk sports with him afterwards, some of you guys would love to do that because you know, I have no idea what you're talking about when you tell me about sports uh, things, uh, athletic competitions, but he knows. Um, and so feel free to, to reach out to him, talk with him about sports afterward. He'd love to, to talk about that. But he's not just an epic beard grower and a, and a sports guy. Um, he's also the husband of one wife, the father of three. He is the, uh, one of the pastors at Refuge Church in uh, the Dayton area here. And uh, I have really benefited from my uh, friendship with John over the last Several, several years, he was one of the first people I talked to uh, when we uh, were planning to move back to Dayton to plant uh, Veritas, and um, he has helped me so much throughout the years thinking through issues of uh, kind of church uh, membership and thinking through issues of um, how to be missional, thinking through issues of uh, biblical pastoral care and counseling, um, helping me think through all sorts of, of just issues. He, he's been such a uh, a gift to me and also to this church, whether you know it or not. Uh, and so it's my pleasure to be able to introduce him. If you want to come up, brother, I'd, I'd love to pray for you. All right, thank you for being here. Let me pray for you. Father, uh, we just uh, lift this brother up to you. Um, he needs your power, your grace, your holiness this morning, that he might be a pure channel of your grace to us. Um, so that we might uh, hear your word proclaimed to our hearts in a way that is piercing and potent uh, and confronts us and comforts us for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. We're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 6. Verses uh, 19 through 24 today as you guys continue your series, uh, your season of life on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so my, my goal is just to come alongside and to complement what you've already been doing uh, with your pastors and elders here. Um, as you're turning there, um, I'm going to assume in a, a, a room this size with this many people and at this age that you are familiar with a classic American story written by Charles Dickens called A Christmas Carol. If you're not, spoiler alert, you should be by now. That's not my fault, okay? Uh, so 
I'm going to ruin it for you. And for those of you who are familiar with this story, I'm going to take some time here and refresh our brains on this story. The story centers on a man named Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And already in your psyche, in your soul, in your inner person, you're starting to get an image, right? You hear that name, Ebenezer Scrooge, and you're like, you've got this story in your head. You've got a description. You've got attributes of, of this person. And the story takes place, the scene of it is that it is Christmas Eve. It is the Christmas season. And uh, on Christmas Eve, um, Scrooge is working with one of his employees, his only employee, a guy named Bob uh, Cratchit. Bob Cratchit is very poor. He's overworked. He's under-resourced. He's not paid very well. This is the only job he has. It's the only job he could get working for Ebenezer Scrooge. And Scrooge is a very stingy, greedy, selfish man. He is full of selfish ambition. He is trying to hoard and to keep everything to himself. He wants to amass as much wealth as he can. He's lonely. He's not married. He has no children. All of his relatives and close friends have distanced themselves from him. And he's overworking Bob Cratchit here on Christmas Eve. Bob Cratchit wants to go home. He wants to have his Christmas Eve uh, feast with his family, which is not much. And Scrooge is overworking him. And eventually he gets to go home late into the evening and, and get to be with his family. And that evening, Scrooge is visited by four ghosts, four spirits. And one of them, the first one, is his old partner. The guy who helped him start his business. The guy, you know, they, they set out to be successful and to make a lot of money. It was a guy named Jacob Marley. And Jacob Marley shows up as this ghostly spirit. It, it startles Scrooge. And he's carrying these heavy chains all wrapped around himself. And each one of these chains has big money boxes attached to them. And he's kind of dragging them along as he comes to greet Scrooge. And Scrooge is, is startled. And what Marley says to Scrooge is he says, I'm here to warn you that the path that you're headed down, the trajectory of your life is going to lead to where I'm at. At Scrooge, we were greedy and we were stingy. And, and yes, we had a lot of money. But look what this has done to me. I, he, and he's just a, you know, he's a shadow of what he used to be. He's just... Someone who looks like their, their soul has been tormented. And now it's just walking in this forever torment of the soul. This is a good image, right? Good story, good opening. And, 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 and as we move on here, that Marley warns Scrooge, if you continue down this path, this is, this is going to be you, but we've, we've got a plan for you, Scrooge, that... You're going to get visited by three ghosts tonight. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And so that's what happens. He, he's visited by these three ghosts. Now, I think Dickens is, is highlighting something. If I, I, I would make the argument if you check his background He's just fleshing out the image that we see here described from our Lord and Savior here in Matthew 6. That we see the power of possessions. That what they can do to 
our psyche, to our inner person. And that's the theme in which Jesus is going to address with us today at this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. So if I had kind of one big idea, one main thesis, one main theme for today, it would be this. Possessions have an enticing power on the inner person. Possessions have an enticing power on the inner person, an enticing influence. And when I say inner person, you can, there's lots of interchangeable words that you can maybe hear me use today that describe the inner person, right? The, the inner, inner person is very, you know, kind of Keller language, right? <laughs> if you're familiar with Tim Keller. Another way of saying this is if maybe if you've gone to college or uh, you've studied maybe some psych courses even in high school, it's the psyche, right? That's the Greek word for soul, which would be another way of saying this, the inner person, the psyche, the soul of a person, that their possessions have this inner, they entice us. It it has an effect on our souls. That's the trajectory, I think, of where Jesus is going to take us today. And he fleshes this out through three images right? Um, And we're going to talk about those three images today, but uh, Garrison and I sat down earlier this week, and uh, he just wanted to kind of wisely walk me through, okay, here's the trajectory, John, of where we've been going in the series of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the way that uh, the themes that we've been picking out with people. So I want to review those to say that we're we're under that umbrella, (laughs) right? That we're, we're still on the same trajectory, that I'm just coming alongside and just preaching the same word that your pastors have here been doing. So, so let's review that for a second. So, so far, what we've seen from this series is that what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount is he's giving us a description of what it looks like for us to flourish as human beings, as people who are made in the image of God. And part of this flourishing idea is that we're, we're brought close to God's chest. We're brought close unto his covenantal care and that he deems us righteous, which is another way of saying he makes us whole. And there's so much in the world that's, that's got us divided and it's kind of, you know, you've got the city of man, you've got the city of God, right? And both are calling for our allegiance. And, and Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to be under my guidance, under my rule, under, you know, my care, my direction. And these are the attributes of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so that's where you've been going. That's what, you know, you've been kind of weaving through so far as you've been in here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a description of the attributes of a Christian. Right? And so what we want to look at today is kind of three images or three shifts that Jesus has for us as we continue on that trajectory. And the first is what I would call flourishing adoration, which is what we'll see in verses 19 through 21. The second would be flourishing ambition, which is there in verses 22 through 23. And then the third would be flourishing allegiance, which is there in verse 24. So Jesus has these three images, these three uh, portions in the text that broken up into three different ways that are a description of what it means to flourish in our adoration, what it means to flourish in our ambition, and what it means to flourish in our allegiance. So let's look at verses 19 through 21. 
Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel of Matthew, if you uh, study it, you know, you pull out your study Bible or uh, pull, uh, crack open even any level commentary, it's going to argue, it's going to say that one of the audiences that Matthew's trying to address is he's trying to address this, these people who were Jewish that have now transitioned into Christianity, right? So it's, it's very much built on the background of the Old Testament. And, and part of the ba- understanding the background of the Old Testament is that there's always this sense of kind of duality, right? <laughs> These two options that are presented to us that what does it mean to flourish under God's kingdom and what does it mean to flourish under the systems and structures and the direction of the city of man, right? And so it's no different here that we see this duality right away here in verses 19 through 21. That your going to treasure something, right? You're building your life around something. There's something that you prize. There's something that you treasure. There's something that you adore. Could be children. It could be a car. (laughs) Could be a house. It could be your career. Could be your spouse. But there is something that you really value and you build your life around it. That's what Jesus is trying to describe to us here. And, and he's saying that one pursuit, one thing that we adore is either killing us, destroying us, we're slowly losing it and we're losing ourselves, or we're gaining. Right? And one, both are an investment, but this is an investment I'm going to lose. And this is an investment that's going to pay off. <laughs> and so he's using this kind of monetary idea, this idea of possessions to clue us into our, the trajectory of our lives. So what do you treasure? What do you adore? And obviously Jesus wants us over here. He wants us to store up treasures that will pay off. Right? He wants us to store up treasures that are going to help us flourish that are not going to slowly destroy our lives. Now, in classic Jesus form, what he does here is as we're kind of thinking about this investment, this monetary language, this material language, he drops a bomb on us, right? Verse 21, right? So he's got this, okay, one, you've got this image of all this stuff over here is going to decay, I'm going to lose it eventually, whether it's the car, whether it's the children, whether it's the spouse, whether whatever it may be, I'm going to eventually lose it. it, it I'm, I'm going to go in the grave and it's going to be gone. <laughs> and so if I've uh, wrapped my identity around this, this, it's going to lead to nothing but heartache. But if I've wrapped my identity around this, around eternity, it's going to lead to nothing but flourishing. 
And so where does Jesus do that? Verse 21, he says, well, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I mean, if you're like me, okay, if we're, we're, we're in this world, right, this North American context, this American context, when you hear that word heart, this, this certain thoughts start coming into your head, right? We think of the heart as the affections or the desires of a person, right? This almost kind of eros love, this, this romantic love, right? My heart. But the heart in the Bible is not less than that. It's so much more, right? Your heart is a description of your whole being, right? It's the whole person, body, flesh, mind, will, <laughs> Affections, desires, thoughts, everything that makes up you is the heart in the Bible. It's your identity. It's that when someone thinks of your name, they think of all the stuff that makes up you, and that includes your your hair or lack thereof. Um, It includes... Your personality it includes like your ambitions. It includes like just everything that makes up you. And so, what Jesus is saying to us is, where your your what your treasure, what you treasure, what you adore, has effect on your personhood, your identity, on who you are. It will shape you. Think of this illustration that, let's go back to Scrooge here, right? Let's go back to the Christmas Carol. Sorry, a Christmas Carol. We're on an article. Okay, all right. For all you English lit people out there. Um, When Marley comes on the scene, what's the description I gave you? What does he look like? Chains, heavy chains. Imagine kind of cloaked, dragon, right? And he's got the money boxes. He's just a shadow of himself and he's tormented, decayed soul. And the image that Dickens is trying to show us is that Marley tried to possess possessions, but possessions possessed him. They became his identity. And so now here he is. At the end of his life, and this is all he's known for, is he's the money box guy. You cannot possess possessions. You cannot possess idols. Idols possess you. They consume you. Is that when we're going after the things of this world, when we're going after this is my identity, this is where I find my, my being, this is the, the, the very nature of myself is it's a decay on the soul. You actually lose yourself and you'll become this thing. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. And so Jesus wants us to make this wise investment that he says, okay, take your, your, 
your gaze, your adoration, you're, you're worshiping all this stuff over here. And change the trajectory. Keep it over here. Because this is what will help you flourish. This is what will, will round out your being. <laughs> and so that leads us very quickly here into our second kind of image here. Right? In verses 22 through 23 is that we want to look at flourishing ambition and the relationship between our adoration and our ambition. <laughs> right? Look with me in verses 22 through 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light, is in, if, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so this eye image that Jesus, this eye language that Jesus is using, is this, the eye helps us see things, right? helps me to see my steps. It helps me to see the bread. It helps me to, to see the fruit of the vine. But it's much deeper than that. It's not just this sight, I think, that Jesus is getting them out. It, it's about a trajectory. It's about where am I going? What do I have? My what, Another way to describe it is a vision, right? That You ever heard of a, a company that has a vision statement? Right? Does your church have a vision statement? That this is our ambition. This is where we're headed. This is the trajectory of my life. This is my gaze. This is where I'm going. And you either have a worldly ambition or you have a godly ambition. But you have an ambition. Much like the treasure, much like the adoration, it's either I adore the things of this world or I adore the things of God, right? But that adoration should lead to this trajectory to lead to this movement that I'm, I'm, I've got this sight and I'm headed that way. And so what Jesus does to describe this is he, he once again, he uses this duality language. If your eye is healthy and this word healthy has been used up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's going to be used moving forward, that it's, it's more of this idea that you guys have been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount on, on wholeness. If your eye is whole, if your eye is righteous, if your eye is, have this sense of completeness, is the, the point he's trying to get at here. That we, when we think of, of healthy, we just think of, okay, the person who doesn't need the glasses or the person who's not blind. No, it's much more than that. It's more holistic. The eye is just got this ambition of what it means to be whole, what it means to be complete. That's the description that Jesus is trying to give us here, is that we have clear goals. We can see the world in its proper place, so that if I go back to the possessions, if I go back to the money, if I go back to the children, if I go back to the car, I see it in its proper light. The, the car's not evil. The money's not evil. The children are not evil. <laughs> They're gifts from the Lord. And when I have a healthy ambition, I see them properly. They don't consume me. They're just a gift. They're a tool that the Lord has given me to, for his glory. They can be stewarded in a way that pleases him and that will satisfy my soul. 
that the word healthy here also has the idea, once again, built on this Old Testament language of the Shema, right? You guys heard this term, or maybe you've heard the term shalom in this series, right? Shalom in the, in the Hebrew is this, all is right in the world. <laughs> so when they come up and they say shalom to one another, they're saying, I'm hoping all is right in your world. <laughs> but it's not just that. It's, it's built on the Shema that Jesus, God, says in the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Lord your God is whole. He is not divided with himself. He's not a man or a, a God that's torn apart. He's one. He's whole. His ambition, his, the goal of his life is clear. All is right with God. So let's go back to Scrooge, right? When the ghost of Christmas present comes to visit Scrooge, he starts to show him, here's what your ambition is doing to you right now. He takes him to Bob Cratchit's house <laughs> on Christmas Eve. And you could not have two different images. <laughs> right here is Scrooge. Sorry, I should stay on this side, right? You know, let's teach you that in homiletics. You've got to have their, you know, these nonverbals need to mean something. Okay, all right. So you go, oh, you're over here, right? And you've got Scrooge's life. And here he is on Christmas Eve. And he's got tons of wealth. I mean, he could buy anything his heart desires. But he's a feeble old man that's alone, that's bitter, that's angry, greedy, stingy, full of selfish ambition. And then you have Cratchit over here. In his life, he, he's poor. He's overworked. He's underpaid. Literally, this man's sin is having an effect on this man's world where he cannot even afford the medical benefits that his youngest son, Tiny Tim, right? I'll have that picture of Tiny Tim. Can't even afford that he, he, he's, he's dying. His son is dying. He's decaying. And it's not because it's not a, a, you know, incurable. It literally just cannot afford the medical expenses. But when... Scrooge goes to visit as this kind of spirit looming. On Christmas Eve, this family is joyful. They're thankful. All the way down to Tiny Tim. What's the image that Dickens is trying to give us of Cratchit? Things are in their proper place. He's got a loving wife. They don't have tons of money, but are they flourishing as a family? Yes. Even in their poverty. Even tiny Tim is joyful. He's thankful 
for what he has. There's a sense of settledness. There's a sense of wholeness in this family. One is miserable and one is flourishing. Now, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that when you, you, you study the, the Greek here of this word, once again, healthy, is that there's a debate among this word whether or not it means it wholeness, which I've given you my position already, okay? Or whether or not it means generous. Now, most of uh, the scholars I read just said, yes, it, it's, the, it's the wholeness, but this wholeness should lead to generosity. And that's the fruit, that's the output of this wholeness. That in the Old Testament, this same idea, this same word, that it, 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 the reason why this is such a debate is that it says that the eye, the bad eye, right there in verse 22, if your eye is bad, in the Hebrew, that was a way of saying your eye is greedy. Your eye is stingy. Your eye is full of selfish ambition. It's selfish. So the opposite of that would be an eye that's generous, the eye that's gracious, the eye that's giving, the eye that sees someone in trouble and wants to help. And we could not have two very different images in Scrooge and Cratchit, right? <laughs> we have the greedy, stingy, selfish man, and then the very loving, generous man that even though he doesn't have much he's he's generous and many times when we go to different portions of the world or even in our own country that it, this has commonly been my experience I'm not saying it's always this way but the poor are usually very generous <laughs> not always that way I mean we have people that are slinging drugs and gangs you know and all that. they're trying to get theirs right so I'm not saying it's perfectly that way but they come around each other as a community and help, and they're generous with, their, with what they did. They say, I don't have much, but I have this. But people who have amassed much wealth <laughs> are trying to hold on to it. This is what Jesus he says. What's the trajectory of your life that the Hebrew here, once again, and the, this is wisdom that the Lord is giving us here in Proverbs 28, verse 22, it says, The stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. You will lose it if that is the aim of your life. The very thing that you're trying to possess, you'll lose. Going all the way back to what Jesus told us in verses 19 through 21. So there's this aim, right? So we've got this adoration. And now that becomes the aim. Okay, I'm headed that way. I adore this, and so I want to move that way. And then what kind of keeps me on that path is my allegiance. So we want to look at this flourishing allegiance here in our final image. Now look with me in verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So once again, we see this reinforcement here of that you have a treasure. It's either the treasure, adoration, things of this world, or it's the things of God. You have an ambition. 
It's either the things of this world or it's the things of God. And you have a master. You have something that you've given your allegiance to, something that you're devoted to. And it's either the things of this world or it is the things of God. And so we see a flourishing allegiance, that this is a destructive allegiance and this is a flourishing allegiance. And everyone has a master they serve. Everyone has something that they're devoted to and it's either helping you to flourish or it's slowly destroying you. But you can't have two masters. If you try to have two masters, say, oh, well, we, we can love God and still be attached to the things of this world, then you've made your choice. There's kind of no middle way here. And I'm the king of, like, gray. I mean, I'm literally multi-ethnic, you know, like black and white. I mean, I love being in the middle. But there is no middle here. It's either Jesus is my master, he is my king, he is my lord, or something else is. And so, as I said from the outset, when some of the fruit of this is that when you're possessed by possessions, remember reading this in uh, R. Kent Hughes' commentary, really helpful, said when you're possessed by possessions, think about this, when people are possessed by possessions, how do they treat people? Like possessions. When you're possessed by possessions, you treat people like possessions. Think of, let's go back, a Christmas carol. Let's think of Scrooge and Cratchit. How does Scrooge treat Cratchit? Like a possession. He's just a thing for me to use for my own glory, for my own pleasure. To help me continue to amass my wealth. I don't care what it does to him. I don't care what it does to his family. I don't care what it does to, to general human flourishing. I care about me. Full of selfish ambition. And that selfish ambition is not just harming Scrooge, it's harming Cratchit. But under Jesus' guidance, under Jesus' direction, when Jesus is what we adore, when Jesus is our ambition, when, then we give our allegiance to Jesus. And Jesus helps not only us flourish, but others to flourish too. I mean, the very kingdom of God is built on that idea, right? That as God flourishes, we flourish. This is why Jesus came, was to help us to flourish. And what was Jesus' allegiance to? God <laughs> himself. He's the only one that can do that. <laughs> we can't. Now what we can do is to say, okay, if I flourish, if I want to pursue my flourishing, I, I, pers I pursue it under the umbrella, under the direction of God, that I keep my allegiance to God, and as I flourish in God. I will flourish and others around me will flourish. 
And so Scrooge is, by the end, when he gets to the yet-to-come Christmas, and he sees where the end is going to happen for him. He's at this funeral. There's only two people there, two or three. I don't remember exactly. Right? It's this dark event. And Scrooge has already had this sense of dread. He's seen the trajectory of his life, what it started to cost him. And now he's seen the end, and he's seen... Not only is he dead in the ground and he can't take anything with him. But the two or three people who are there are literally arguing how to divvy up his wealth. So it, it doesn't go to him. It goes to these other people. And what, what's he left? What's the legacy he's left? More selfish ambition is going to spread. And so Scrooge comes back and he says, I don't want to see anymore. No more. Take me back. And, and, and what happens to Scrooge? He's redeemed. His chains are taken off. He's set free. And what does he become? He becomes a radically generous man. He goes to Bob Cratchit's house and he brings a big turkey. And he, he becomes a mentor and a father figure to Tiny Tim. And to help him flourish. And he starts to say, I'm going to be generous to the, the whole town. True repentance has come to his house. It's Zacchaeus, right? I'm not going to just do what the law requires. I'm going to go 300% above. His life has been radically changed because now he has a new allegiance. He has a new ambition. He has a new direction for his life. Obviously, Dickens doesn't take us to God, right? But that's our story too, right? There's a sense of empathy and sympathy that we can have with Scrooge. The purpose of the story is for us to, to see ourselves in that and say, okay, what, what is my, what do, what do I adore? What is my ambition? What am I giving my allegiance to? And Jesus is calling us, he's, he's pleading with us to, to, for that to be him. Because he will help us to flourish. Isn't it cool that the more that you study the way humans are made and wired, that God built this into our very DNA? That when he is our allegiance, and when we're flourishing under his guidance and his leadership, We flourish, and others around flourish. And, and what do I mean by this is built into our DNA? There's this chemical in your body. Okay? Study psychology. You know, talk to her about this. Study the science of the, the body. And it's called serotonin. Okay? And serotonin, what, what, what we know about this, some people that I've listened to call it the, the, the leadership chemical. And what this chemical is, it's very re related to depression, okay? When your soul gets low, your body gets low, it's, it's usually that you're, you're low in serotonin. And so one of the things that a, a counselor will do, the first thing it'll do is to say, why don't you go out and serve somebody? Go to a homeless shelter. Go to a soup kitchen. Go to a local school and mentor some kids. And what will happen 
the reason why they have you do this is that when you go out and you invest in someone else, that you're generous with your time, with your finances, with the resources that God has given you, and you see somebody else flourish, you get serotonin. <laughs> your serotonin levels go up. And you feel this sense of joy, happiness, and you come out of that funk. Well, who do you think made our bodies this way? <laughs> the God of the universe who knit us together in our mother's womb. He built it into your very DNA that when you see other people flourish, you flourish. It's the, the proud dad, mom moment when your, your child walks across the stage at college. And look, you, you, didn't, you didn't do all their classes for them. You didn't do, you know, but you, that's ah, my boy, that's my gal. You flourish as they flourish. You know that you had a part in that, a hand in that. Even if it's just a, a morsel. At, at Refuge, we like to call it gospel swag. Right? That I've got this swagger about when I see someone that I've invested in, someone that I've discipled, someone that I've poured my life into, and then they flourish. And I'm like, yeah, they're flourishing. Man, God, thank you in your grace that I got to be a part of that. Thank you for using me in their life. It's that friend that you help along the way. It's that coworker. It's that spouse. And God has built this into our very DNA. Let's not lose sight of the trajectory here, friends, that Jesus wants us to see the power of the things of this world, the power of possessions and what they can do to our lives. And so what is it that you adore? What is your ambition? What have you given your allegiance to? Because they're either flourishing adoration, they're flourishing ambitions, they're flourishing allegiances, or they're destructive adorations. They're destructive ambitions, they're destructive allegiances. This is the duality that Jesus has for us here in this text. So let me pray for us. And then after I'm done praying, we'll have a moment of silent reflection. All right, let me pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful guidance, direction, trajectory that you have given us here in Matthew 6. I know it was a helpful reminder from, from my soul, from my inner person, from my psyche, to be reminded that what is it do I treasure? What is it I adore? What do I prize most in this life? And Father, I desperately need your help to treasure you, to treasure Jesus Christ. And as I continue in that path with your help and with your guidance, then may the ambition of our lives be to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. That's success. That's flourishing. In order for us to do that, we need to be fully devoted 
bought in. Our allegiance needs to belong to you. Help us in that, Father. We're desperate. There's so many things in this world that are calling for our allegiance that want to pull us away, that want to allure and entice us away from that one true devotion. So help us to have a singular vision. And you promise, as we do, that we will be made whole. That where our treasure is, our heart, our identity, our being will be also. To help our treasure to be you. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.